Thank you. Brilliant. So I'm going to talk today, very fittingly, if I want to call it something, so I know Jules will want to know, all for your glory. All is for your glory. Now, we've already been thinking a little bit this morning, and we often think all is for his glory, and absolutely rightly so. And that's a whole nother sermon, but that's not the one I've got for you today. What I've got for you today is this emphasis. All is for his glory. All is for his glory. And that's what I feel like um, God wants us to talk about today. Where this came from was, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I have a bit of a dissatisfaction. Um, maybe I've been with Christians or maybe I've been with non-Christians. Maybe I've been talking with people, I, anything. And I sometimes think, oh, I feel a bit like we could have engaged more with what God wanted to do with us in that situation. But we kind of didn't. I'm like, oh, God, how do I steer things and encourage things and just draw God out, the God that's in me? How do I draw that out and how do I bring that? And how do I how do, I do all of that kind of stuff? Um, and sometimes I feel a bit like, oh. And, and sometimes you can maybe think that it's only when you're doing prayer or only when you're praying for someone or only when you're speaking about Jesus that those are the things that, that, that kind of make. And what God spoke to me about was that he took me to that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, which says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I know I'm taking that completely out of context. It was in the context of not offending other people, but being, being aware of others. But I really felt like God was speaking to me about this, like whatever you do, even your eating and even your drinking, which Mark talks about a lot, doesn't he? Even your eating and even your drinking can be for the glory of God. Whatever we do is designed to be for the glory of God. And that's really encouraging, isn't it? And I was thinking, well, yeah, there are some things I can see seem easy. I can see that they're for the glory of God, but other things I don't. And it's those things that I want to think about this morning. And one of the things I found myself, um, a verse I love and a verse I find myself praying every day recently is Romans 12, verse 1, which says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's why I find myself saying that every day, because I want my life to be worship to Jesus. And the way I do that is by presenting my body to him. And it's like, yeah, we could say, well, I've done that once when I was saved, but actually we need to be doing it every day, saying, God, here am I. I'm a living sacrifice. Do I want to do your will today. That's what I owe you. <laughs> I owe it to you because you've given everything to me, and I want to worship you in a way that honors you. So here am I. What do you want of me today? What do you want to use me for today? How can I bring you glory today? So that verse again was this thing about how can all of my life be bringing you glory um, as I present it to you, as I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. So there's those kind of starting points. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about all being for God's glory, it's pretty good to start with Jesus really, isn't it? Because he's our example, isn't he? And if anyone lived the whole of his life for the glory of God. It was Jesus, wasn't it? You know, so he's the perfect example of how to live the whole of your life um, for the honor of God. Um, he's the, he, his whole life was like that. And I'm going to start by reading John chapter 7, verses 14 to 18. Um, just to give you a context of God, Jesus living for the glory of God. So the Jews, therefore, ooh, hang on. At about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, 
He'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And I, For me, I love that passage. It just so speaks about what Jesus' heart was, wasn't it? That he knew that he had authority to speak because he knew the Father, and he'd spent that time with the Father. Um, and so he knew that he wasn't seeking his own glory. He was only seeking the glory of his father. And I want to start by thinking like, so one of the key things that Jesus did was that he spent time alone with his father, didn't he? So Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, I'm just going to give you these little, three little examples. It says, he dismissed the crowds and went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And then Luke 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, Crowds gathered to him to be healed, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's a bit of a shocker, isn't it? <laughs> he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Look at all those sick people, Jesus. And then Luke 6, 12, he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus could speak with the authority with authority, that marveled, that the, all the elders and the religious people marveled at, he had an authority that they'd not seen anywhere else because he'd spent that time alone with his father. But equally, and Mark's been preaching on this, and Cheryl often refers to this too, he could live every part of his life for the glory of his father because he was totally dependent on the father. He never did anything of his own strength, did he? He never did anything of his own will. He only lived to please the will of his father. So John 5, 19 the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is that really perfect example of only wanting to live for the glory of God, only wanting to follow the will of his father. But if we look at his life, what he actually did in his day-to-day -day life then, what did that look like? What did we see? Well, as I've already said, we see that he spent time with his father. That was a big part of how he spent his days, bringing glory to his father. We also see that he taught people. That's the first passage was talking about that, clearly for the glory of his father. Of course, we know that he performed miracles and that he healed the sick, even raised the dead, all for the glory of his father cast out demons. But of course, he did some other bit more mundane things too, didn't he? <laughs> and I love the fact that he frequently ate and drank with people who were the despised in that society. He didn't count himself above them or anything, but he looked out for those people that other people wouldn't have wanted to go and spend time with. He looked out and he went and ate and drank with the people that no one else would have done because they were the scum of their society. That's part of what he did for the glory of his father. But then what about before that? We hear a little bit, and Roger talked about it last week, didn't he? didn't he? When Jesus was 12 and he went to the temple and he stayed behind without his parents knowing. Why? Because he was about his father's business in his father's house. But then it says that he, when he went home, he lived in obedience to his parents. That was for the glory of the father too, wasn't it? That he lived as a child. We don't hear much about it in the Bible, but that implication is there that he lived in obedience to his parents. That was for the glory of his father. And then I think it's interesting, isn't it? So from that point, that 12-year-old, 13-year-old, maybe nearly, 
up until 30, we hear nothing. There's nothing written in scripture about what Jesus did. But that wouldn't have been time wasted, would it? That wouldn't have been nothing. That would have been time being lived for the glory of God. So sometimes there might be in our lives hidden seasons where it seems like there's nothing much going on. We don't know what's going on. We can't sense what's going on. But don't, it's not wasted time if our hearts are in that right place of presenting our bodies to him every day and saying, here's my life, Jesus. Use it for your glory. We can be sure that in those just getting on with our day to day where nothing seems to be happening, that it is for the glory of God if that's where we posture our heart. Even as all those things that Jesus did in that time that we don't know what they were. They're not recorded but they were for the glory of God. And then, of course, as we've um, heard about this morning, um, John 12, 27, the ultimate was that he gave up his life for the glory of God. So for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And of course, we know that, this, that the Father answers and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So even to death, he glorified his Father's name. So I felt like the Spirit wanted me to think about those two things and talk a little bit about what that means for us then. So those two aspects of the life of Jesus, spending time alone with the Father, doing nothing of our own accord, but only in dependence on him. Let's see how those things apply to us so that we can live our whole lives for the glory of God. Um, I don't know if those of you remember, but um, a few weeks back in January, we had Liz Foutier who came and did a prophetic workshop um, kind of day with us on the Saturday. And there was a sentence she said there, which kind of really resonated with me because it's kind of so much what I felt. You know, sometimes you have, sometimes when people say things and you think, yeah, that's exactly what I would say if I could. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so you, Esther's nodding, so she knows what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah, so I get that sometimes. Um, but what she said, and I love this, and, and bear with me and hear, hear what this is saying. What she said, and she was talking about the context of prophetic words, and she said, the public word comes from the prophetic, sorry, comes from the secret kiss. The public word comes from the secret kiss. Um, and I'd just like to suggest that everything Jesus did publicly came from that secret kiss, that place of his fellowshipping with his father, that place of his waiting, listening, asking, dialoguing with him, worshipping him, talking with him, sharing heart with him. That's what I mean by that um, secret kiss. Yeah. Um, but let's take that a little bit further. So I know for me, that's exactly my, why I said it resonated with me, because that's exactly what I feel about worship. I can't stand up here and lead worship for you guys if I haven't been worshiping and in that secret kiss, giving you that secret kiss in that secret place. I can't. It would be hypocritical. It would be wrong. And you would know it. It would be empty. You would know it. Yeah. So our, my public worship, and it was true for you as well as you're worshiping, our public worship comes from that secret kiss. But of course, it's more than that, isn't it? Any area of our service for God, our public service, will come out of that place of our secret kiss with him. And then, of course, you take that one step further. Our public lives come from that secret kiss. What do people see? What do people see? What do people see when they look at us? Are they seeing that we've been with Jesus? That was one of the testimonies of the disciples, wasn't it? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And I think for me, this whole thing about if I'm going to live all for God's glory, it has to start here. It has to start with this place of the secret kiss, this place of the secret kiss. So let me just make sure that you understand what I mean by the secret kiss. So a kiss portrays worship, portrays intimacy. It portrays... Um, 
that, that, that whole closeness, that oneness, being joined together. That's one of the meanings of Kiss is to join. Um, so I'm talking about the Kiss being that. It's our worship, our adoration, our fellowship, our connection with Jesus. And I was thinking about this, and, this, uh, and I was thinking how, like, you know, in some cultures, they greet one another with a kiss, don't they? You know, it's a bit of a, yeah, if you're French, <laughs> yeah, that kind of, they, they almost even don't touch, do they? It's just like in the air, but it's a kiss. But that's a kiss of acquaintance. But then I thought, well, we also have kisses that are a bit more affectionate than that, don't we? The way I kiss my kids is more affectionate than, a, you know, I give them a bit more of a, an affectionate kiss, yeah? But of course, my most intimate kiss is reserved for my spouse, my husband, in my case. And those of you that are married will understand that. We only have a kiss on the lips, that intimate kiss with our spouse. It's reserved for them. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, what kind of a kiss do you want with Jesus? Are you satisfied with a kiss of acquaintance? Or maybe you're happy with a kiss that's more affectionate, an affectionate kiss. Or are you longing for that intimate kiss of unity, oneness with Jesus that he offers, that he wants, that his heart is longing for? Um, I don't know about you, but that's what I long for. I long to be that close, that close. I don't want it to be standoffish. I want it to be close. I want it to be up close, personal, real, unity with him, one with him, that, effect, that, that intimate kiss. You see, Jesus longs to share his heart with us, doesn't he? He's longing to share his heart with us, but he's also longing for us to share our heart with him. And I joked with Sarah last week because I was like in Song of Solomon a lot recently, and I'm thinking, oh, flip, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, don't ask me to preach out of Song of Solomon, please. <laughs> That's a little bit too close to the knuckle. Um, I'm feeling quite relieved because I've just got some verses that are going to be all right. But we are going to go to Song of Solomon because we need to see, and, and we've sung it this morning, haven't we? Our response, we'll come to that in a minute. But we need to see why, you know, how Jesus feels about us. Um, so if we go to, I'm going to go to Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10. And I know there's lots of interpretations of Song of Solomon. I'm going with the one that it's, the, it's Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, the bride. But of course, the bride is made of us, each individual members. So see it as how Jesus is wanting to talk to us. And it says this. I love this phrase. I love this passage. My beloved, that's speaking of Jesus, speaks to me and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful way, one, and come away. And I'm going to just stop there. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Years and years and years back, and I can never find this song now. There was a song that, you know, back in the day when you had tapes was the way you listened to music. Sorry, some of you don't even know what those are, do you, because you're young. But back in the day when you had tapes, and there was a tape of integrity music or something, and there was a song called Come Away With Me. And it was based on that. Oh, somebody said yes, somebody knows, has heard of it. And I can remember spending hours just lying on my lounge floor, just with the presence of God, with that song. It's beautiful. Come away with me, my love, my beautiful one. Then it talks about the winter being past. And then this is in verse 14. This is what, this is his heart for us. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Why would we not want to get in the presence of someone who thinks that about us? You know, in the natural we would, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah? How much more so in the spiritual? How much more so with Jesus? 
that he loves to be with us. He wants to share his heart with us. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, this is again what he says of us. Oops, gone too far. How beautiful is your love? How much better is your love than wine? Your love, in the version I had on my paper, it says, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than mine. So what should our response be? Well, in verse 16, the response of the bride here, no, not, not in verse 16, I've written the wrong verse down. But anyway, so it says, my beloved is, it might be a different chapter, sorry. My, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. There's that unity, that connection. And then we sang it this, this morning because later on in Song of Solomon, when she goes to find her love and she says to the women, if you see him, tell me where he is. And they go, why should we tell you that? What's so special about him? And she says, my beloved is more beautiful than 10,000. And that's what we sang this morning, didn't we? My beloved is more beautiful than 10,000. But if we go to chapter 5 and verse 2, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we ignore it, that call to come away, don't we? Or maybe it's just me. Sometimes we refuse his advances. Sometimes we're not responsive to what he's saying. And this is illustrated in Song of Solomon, verse 2 to 8, which I'm just going to read. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I'd put off my garments. How could I put it on? I'd bathe my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me and they bruised me and they took away my veil, those watchmen on the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. So sometimes we might be guilty of not hearing that knock on our heart's door to open up more to him, to open up our hearts to him. You see, for love to be true, for love to be intimate, for love to be fulfilled, it needs to. It's no good if I love you but you don't love me in return. It's no good if Jesus loves us, but we don't share that love back to him. It's incomplete, isn't it? To, for his love to be complete, it needs our response. That's what intimacy is when the two are together. So time alone with the Father. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But of course, it is more than just that time where we set aside time with him, but it's about that abiding in me. John 15, 4, abide in me, and I in you. As a branch can't bear fruit by itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. And abide, the Greek word is meno or meno, don't know how to pronounce it, which means to stay, to continue, to dwell, to be present. I thought that was a good one for our generation. We can, I haven't got my phone up here, but we can often be in the room but not be present, can't we? But the sense of abiding about being present, endure. That means it might not always be easy. 
endure gives me the sense that actually I've got to keep going with this. Stand and tarry, which is an old-fashioned word for wait, in case you didn't know. Those are all the things that are conjured up, all those meanings that are conjured up by that simple word, abide. And John 15, verse 8 says, By this is the Father glorified, which is what we're wanting to do all our lives, bringing him glorified, that you bear much fruit. And of course, that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, as Nikki read out for us at the beginning. Um, and that fruit is formed in us as we become one with Jesus and are transformed into his image. That's what brings him glory. As we abide in him, that fruit can be formed in us. And then in John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These are all verses we've been hearing recently, aren't they? Things that the Spirit is highlighting to us that we need to be paying attention to. We can do nothing of ourselves, as Mark preached the other week. It's only from our place of abiding in him. Because it's in that place of abiding that we catch the heart of the Father. It might be when we're reading scripture, when he brings something to our attention. He reveals Jesus in that. It might be that as we're in his presence, he gives us a now word, a rema word, something fresh that the Spirit is saying to us that quickens our hearts and we respond to that. But it might just be that in going about your everyday life, that abiding in him means that we know in our spirit what pleases him. So we know that, oh, that sense I've got that I just need to phone so-and-so comes because I've been in that place of abiding. I'm in that place of abiding. Or maybe it's that sense that when everyone at work is doing something that you know doesn't perhaps please the heart of God, that you know it because you've trained yourself to know what pleases him and your heart is only to do what pleases him. I came across this um, quote, another one of these things, I think, yeah, that's exactly what I want to say, but wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to put it so eloquently. Um, this came out of a, I didn't hear the whole thing, I just heard this little snippet on prayer that Bill Johnson said, but I, I love this, I'm going to read this to you and you'll see why. He said, God isn't looking for people who know how to stay busy. He's looking for people who know how to represent his heart. People who know how to represent his heart. I can't represent in action what I've not found in prayer. That's that place of intimacy. It's the connection with the heart of God that gives me the authority to represent him with confidence in action. I just love that. And I just think, yes, that's what we want, isn't it? It's the connection with the heart of God that gives me the authority to represent him with confidence in action. You know, we... We can have actions sometimes, but if they're not grounded in, in Jesus, they'll be a waste of time. But if they're grounded in Jesus, it gives us the authority to represent him in those actions. We can't just have that intimacy for no purpose. It is just to be with him and to love him. But out of that comes our actions. It just automatically does. To represent him with confidence in action, connection with the heart of God connection with the heart of God. So how do we cultivate it? I thought, let's get nitty-gritty, let's get practical. How do we cultivate this, in, this connection, this, this intimate relationship? And again, this is not new because Mark said this a few times recently. The first step is to ask God to give you a desire for it, to ask God to put that wanting in you. That's always the place to start with these things, isn't it? It's like admitting, okay, God, yeah, I'm not there. 
And actually, for any of us and every one of us, I would like to suggest that there's more, there's more. I know for me, I know there's more, there's more in terms of this intimate relationship. So whether you've been saved one day or a hundred years, sorry, nobody's that old, but you know what I mean? Wherever we're at in our journey, there's always more. There's always more. There's always a deeper intimacy that we get called to. It's going to go on for eternity. So we've hardly touched the surface, have we? <laughs> Even Dennis and June have been at it for years. And Maggie and Phil, who've lived their lives for Jesus, you know, we haven't been at it for long. Sorry, Bob, you're out there with the, with the octogenarians as well. Not that Maggie and Phil are, of course. But, you know, get what I mean? Even if you've been on your spiritual journey for a long time, there's that, we've, we've hardly touched the surface. We've got eternity. So there's more connection that we can make. Um, so, so ask God to put a desire for it in your heart and stay there for as long as you need. Yeah, there's no point rushing on if you haven't got that. So keep asking God to put that hunger in you. And then the second step is don't try and do it in your own strength. We all trip off from that one, don't we? We think, yeah, I've got to spend more time with God. I've got to spend more time with God. <laughs> yes, okay, it is you, but it's not you working it up and, and doing it, is it? I love the passage. Again, this is a great verse, great, great freeing verse. Philippians 2, verse 13. So Paul's been talking to the Philippians, and he's telling them that they've got to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And you think, oh, right, okay, I've got, I've got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But then he says, because it is God who works in you, both to will, that's the want to bit, and to act, that's the do it bit, according to his good pleasure. It's God who works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Doesn't that take the pressure off? It's God who works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And then in Colossians 3, 17, it says, whatever you do, no matter what it is in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus and in dependence upon his person giving praise to God the Father through him. So again, it's this thing about doing it all in dependence upon Jesus. And Colossians 2 verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in union with and conformity to him. So the second step, don't do it in your own strength. Let him work it in you. Let him work it in you. He's looking for your heart response. He's looking for your yes. And then he can work these things in you. And then the third step, is pursue it. Be intentional about it. Determine that you're going to set aside time to be with him. And I felt here like there were two things. It's not just about the amount of time. Now, for some of us in the room, the Holy Spirit will be convicting your heart that you need to spend more time because you don't give him much. And he will be convicted of that. And if that's you, then respond. Give him more. Take little steps. Don't suddenly go from one minute to 10 hours because you won't manage that. Go from one minute to five. Yeah. Take practical steps. So for some of us, it might be give him more. It might be give him more. But it's not just that. You see, some of us, we're all in different walks of life. Some people have more time than others. Some people like Roger, uh, privileged to be you know, a man of leisure. He has all the time in the world. I have a job to do as well. Yeah, many of you do too. Many of you have jobs that take up a lot of hours. Some of you have young children, and that's demanding. It's really hard to find your time, isn't it, when you've got all of that to juggle? Um, and we know that God gently leads those who are with young. So it's not just about this way, but it's about deep as well. Um, it's about how we're posturing our heart. That's what Jesus is looking for. So let's not compare. I'm not going to compare my amount of time with Cheryl, and I'm not going to compare my amount of time with Esther, and Esther's not going to compare her amount of time with me. It's about the posture of our heart.
And that's what Jesus can work with, because then in those moments throughout the day, whether you're pushing the buggy, whether you're feeding the baby at midnight, or whether you're, you have got an hour where you can just go and walk in creation and talk with Jesus, wherever it is, it's that posture of your heart that, God, I'm yours. I'm abiding in you. Speak to me in this moment. I'm listening. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. Um, and I felt as well for some of us who perhaps might feel, well, I've, I've got this sust in my life. Sorry, that sounds bad. I don't mean it like that. But you know, where you might think, yeah, I, I know this. I've been walking this. I've got this. I felt like the Spirit said, what about going deeper? What about expecting something different? You see, we all have our things that, the way that, settled ways that we spend time with God in that quiet time, in that alone time, in that secret kiss. But maybe he's going to open up to you some new ways of doing it that will just unlock some things that you've never seen before. Maybe there's some new ways of spending time with him and sharing heart with him. Um, so don't limit yourself to what you've always done, but be open to some new things. That's something that I know God is challenging me on at the moment is that the time and what and what are you going to, how are you going to do it and how else can you meet with me? And that's, that's a, a challenge for us, isn't it? You know, can we go deeper? Can we go different in, in terms of how, how we do this? And then I felt like God said to me, talk about some real practical things about how you do it, Olive. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> So one of the things that works really well for me is walking in creation. Yeah. And I think that's um, probably God's favorite one. And I thought about that. And thought, no, I probably can't say that because I'm sure it isn't. But because, uh, the reason I thought that was because in the garden, Adam and Eve, what did he do? He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. In that beautiful garden. I mean, I think creation as it is now is stunning. <laughs> but what it would have been like before the fall and what it's going to be like in heaven is just going to blow my mind. I don't know if, you know, I'm not going to know what to do with myself because, you know, I, I'm satisfied with a meager little lake sometimes, you know, because I see God in it. Anyway, so walking in creation. And it's funny, isn't it, how God leads you? So I, I, I write things in a book sometimes. Um, and... <laughs> And I felt God say to me when I was talking about this, read them that bit about the lake with the light. And I'm thinking, really? But then when I read it back, I hadn't read it for a while, I thought, oh, wow, this is a really good illustration of what I'm wanting to say. So I'm going to read you one of my very personal, <laughs> I wouldn't normally do this, believe me, one of my very personal things and expose myself, make myself vulnerable. Um, but I'm going to talk you through what I was doing in that in the hopes that maybe it will help some of you who perhaps don't know, you know, let's be honest, sometimes it can be hard to know how to connect with God. So the first thing is, I'm at Milton Country Park. It's nice and close to me. I can get there on my bike. Um, one of my favorite places to go. And as a little aside, I would say, find your places and go there regularly. It's a bit like a pilgrimage in a way, isn't it? Go there regularly because I go to Milton Country Park and there's a spiritual heritage for me there. Because I've had moments there and moments there and moments there and moments there where God has spoken to me. So I go there now and I know this is a place where I meet with God. So find your places. It doesn't matter where they are, but find your places because God will say something. So that's, that's a little aside. So I started, I'm walking around Milton Park and I often sing. I'll talk about that in a minute because that's one of my default things to do. If I'm worshiping God, I can't help but sing. So I'm singing that song. I yield my heart to you. I yield my heart to you. I yield my heart to you, you're my king. And then it goes on to say, I am one with you. Nothing in this world will ever keep me from you. So then I stop and I start to pray. And this is what I pray. Lord, this is my heart, but I need you to help me to walk it out. So I've gone from worshipping to prayer, talking. 
in the midst of all that has to be done, how do I make sure that nothing keeps me from you? How do I prioritize you and your presence and ensure that we remain intimate? And then I got another song in my spirit because God speaks to me a lot through songs. Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice. And then I go into prayer again. Thank you that you're in me and I'm in you, even as the Father, uh, even as you and the Father are one. And Lord, I want my life to reflect this oneness with you. I want make what makes your heart beat be what makes my heart beat. I want to be moved by compassion, even as Jesus was. I want my life to reflect you, Jesus, even as you have shone the light of the gospel into my heart in the face of Jesus. So I want my life to shine the light of Jesus into all I meet. And then I need to set the scene for you for the next bit. So I was standing on a sunny day across the lake. Those of you who have been to Milton Country Park will get the idea. Yeah, there's that beautiful lake and the sun was shining on it. I want my life to reflect you even as today the sun is shining on the lake and the lake, being clear water, reflects back the light of the sun. So I want my life to be clear water, free of muck and dross, free of what clouds it up, so that as you shine on me in the face of Jesus, the sun, my life will reflect the light of Jesus. Show me my heart if there's anything making the water impure, as I don't want the reflection to be dimmed by my flesh or my sin. Don't let clouds come to obscure the light of the sun in my life. Reflection is at its best and purest when the sun shines fully and the sky is blue with no clouds to spoil the view. So you get the idea of how I'm letting the things that I'm seeing in creation speak to my heart and I'm responding to God out of that. And then the wind was blowing and I can't remember now because I didn't like it got a bit stormy or if I just started to think this. So it may have got a little bit stormy or I may have just thought this. So I went on to say, Lord, let my life reflect you when all around the waters are stormy. Let my life reflect the peace and calm water that is found in you. When all around is dark and black, let your light shine in and on and through me. Lord, let me with an unveiled face reflect Jesus. And this next bit was amazing. I, I find if I'm in these things, you, you linger and you stay there and you wait. Just Jesus loves to just do those things that touch our things. They'll be different for you and me. And they might not grab, this might not grab you at all, but it grabbed me. <laughs> so as I said, revealing, making myself vulnerable here. So as I watched the lake, the way that the light reflected on it as the, bree, bree, bleh, as the breeze blew, it made it look like there were raindrops of light. Have you ever seen that? So it wasn't, you know how raindrops do that thing and you see that, you know, it's like a classic image, but it was like light. It was like rain, raindrops of light bouncing and dancing across the surface of the lake. And it made me laugh and it made me smile. And then I said, Holy Spirit, blow across my life and let the light drops of Jesus dance across me in a way that draws people and makes them smile and makes them want to stop and look. And then when I looked again, and I just a little aside there, keep looking. When you're in this place of intimacy with Jesus, don't rush off. Keep looking. I find often you keep looking, keep looking, you get more. Then when I looked again, the picture had changed. And instead of appearing to drop onto the surface like raindrops, the light appeared to be bursting up from inside the lake. 
It was like a, the opposite, completely the opposite, and escaping to the surface. And I felt the Spirit say that he is within me. And out from the deep, deep waters of my spirit, his light would burst forth all over. And now I'm going to really be vulnerable. I wrote a little poem. Falling on me, bursting forth from within me, your love, your light. Sun drops of light dance over me. Sun drops of light burst up from within me so that I reflect the beauty of the sun. And the light he shone in me can be seen by all as I reflect you. And then just to ground it in scripture, because that's always a good thing to do with your experiences with the Holy Spirit. I wrote 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I share that just to give you an idea of how you can walk and dialogue and worship and just connect with the heart of the Father in creation. That's it, walking in creation. As I said, of course, we can connect with him through worship, music, song. And as I implied, that's a big one for me. Use the words that other people have creatively written that perhaps we don't struggle. We might not struggle to say them so eloquently, mightn't we? But also sing your own songs. It might not be so eloquent. It might not be so well-phrased. It might not rhyme. It might not stand. But he loves to hear your song. He loves to hear your song. Yes, we can use the words of others. Of course we can, and we do. And they're really meaningful. But sing your own song too, because he loves your voice, remember? He loves your song. He loves what you have to bring him. Of course, we're going to read the Bible. You can't connect with the Father without, with it, and ignore the written word of God and meditate on it. See what he wants to show you with it. Um, didn't you love it this morning when Esther danced? It stirs my spirit, your prophetic dance. You've got to keep doing that, Esther, and stirring that up. It's so good. I feel my spirit rise when you do that. There's so much power in that. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. And we look forward to more. It's brilliant. So I'm not a dancer, but I can sense the spirit of God in that. And others of you are dancers. I've had prophetic words about dance. Not looking at you, Kim. <laughs> but this dance and seeing the children dance as well, it's great, isn't it? So some of you, dance will be a way you connect with, with, with God. Art might be a way you connect with God. Poetry might be a way you connect with God. Then, of course, there's soaking in his presence. I don't know if you listen to any of those soaking music things. I find them, I really don't like them in lots of ways. I think, oh, this is horrible music. But then you realize that actually they're good because they're like that. You tune out to them. It's a bit like white noise, isn't it? You do need something to stop your mind going, oh, because oh, oh. let's be honest, when you're quiet with God, what happens? Oh, I didn't phone that person at work. Oh, I forgot to do that. It does, doesn't it? Let's be honest, because otherwise everybody thinks that we're all super spiritual and we never have those thoughts. Of course we have those thoughts. Even Mark has those thoughts. Right? Shh. Even Mark will have those thoughts. Everybody does, you know? We're human and it happens. But it's about what we do with them, yeah? It's not a problem that they come, but let's not stick with them. And if we have stuck with them, then you suddenly find, oh, no, I've been thinking about that for the last 10 minutes. Then just, I'm sorry, God, I'm bringing my thoughts back to you. But the thing about the soaking music, it does make that bit of background noise so that then it's a bit easier to work as maybe some of us, maybe that works. Of course, God will speak to us in visions and in pictures, as um, Nikki was encouraging us again this morning. Dreams. Don't even have to be awake for that one. Isn't that amazing? I'm this is what I'm loving. This is my current revelation that I'm really seeking to get more of. God gives to us in our sleep. 
oh, what a good way of finding some time. Suddenly I've got, what, six hours, eight hours, however long you sleep. I don't want to confess to how many hours I sleep. But isn't that amazing? If we say, God, as I lay down to sleep tonight, would you speak to me? His spirit and our spirits can still commune. That's not letting you off the hook of doing some conscious time, by the way. But it is an additional amount of time that we probably forget to make use of. And I, I thought about that, and I was thinking, yes, how many times have I woken up at some funny hour with something? I think, wow, that's a great spiritual revelation. Where's that come from? Yeah? So even in our sleep, he gives to us. might be through a dream, a vision, or you might just wake up with a sense of what the Spirit's been doing in your heart as you've slept. Speaking in tongues or singing in tongues, spirit to spirit, that's our spirits communing straight away. Sometimes I come to the presence of God, I'm like, okay, you know what? What am I going to do today? I'll start by singing, and I'll sing, but you could speak if you don't like singing. Singing in tongues, because then my spirit engages, then my spirit connects, then I can begin to hear. And then suddenly I think, oh, I've got that song on my mind. Oh, he's got that scripture has come to my mind. So use the gift of tongues. And if you haven't got the gift of tongues, get someone to pray for you so you can get it. Because it's a language that helps us connect with Jesus and helps us get to know his heart. Journaling, writing things down. I'm a bit of a do it and then I don't do it for ages. And then I think, why don't I do that more often kind of a person? Um, but it is good. And then like today, you think, wow, that's amazing. That just fits with my preach. I'd have never thought that. I mean, that was, I don't know how many years ago, but this is, this is a couple of journals back. So it was a while ago, but it's still like, wow, that's got a freshness for today because it's something that God imparted to me by his spirit. Um, so journaling is good. Um, and then just that sitting at his feet, waiting expectantly, seeing what he will do. And that's our next point in the practicalities of spending time with Jesus is be expectant. I've been in places, I've come, I'll confess over the course of my life, sometimes I've come and I've just thought, I'm just going to do this because I know it's the right thing to do, but I've not been very expectant that God will meet with me, that he'll share his heart, that we'll connect. Well, it probably isn't going to happen then, is it? <laughs> but I'm not expecting it. If I expect that he's going to meet with me, he loves to meet with me. Why would he not share his heart? He will. Um, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But then I want to add, don't be worried or disappointed or feel like you're a failure, if it sometimes feels like it's been a nothing. And if you had times with God, you think, well, that was a nothing. Or is that only me? <laughs> Don't feel what I've got from that today. Whereas other times you've got a real tangible sense of his presence. But yeah, so let's be honest. Let's help each other out. Sometimes it can feel like a nothing. Sometimes it can feel like a nothing. But I want to encourage you that it will not have been wasted. It will not have been wasted. We might not see it then and there, but the fact that we have consistently put that time in, spent that time with him, he will be doing something on the inside of us, even if we don't see it yet. Even if we don't feel it right then and there, he will be doing something. And we can trust him that it isn't wasted. Don't quit. There's treasure in the pursuit of his heart. There's treasure in the pursuit of his heart. So as I conclude, I want to just say, I believe that God is highlighting this. It's been a, a topic, hasn't it, a lot lately. But if the Spirit is still saying to, to bring it, then we need to be hearing it, don't we? And I think he wanting, he's wanting us to come to the place where we understand that all is for his glory, that in all things he might have the first place, the preeminence. Not just those things we perceive as spiritual, but whatever we do, all being for his glory. So my prayer is that as we pursue the secret kiss, then our public lives will bring him glory. My prayer is that as we abide in him and let his life throw through us in all we do, sorry, my prayer is that as we abide in him, 
will let his life flow through us in all we do. My prayer is that we develop that heart connection so that wherever we are and whoever we're with, we're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. But in our spirits, we're saying, Father, what are you doing here? What's happening in the spiritual realm here? Is there anything you want me to do? Anything you want me to say? How can I reflect you and bring you glory in this situation? My prayer is that we're more aware of his presence in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment, so that just in that five minutes we've got, or that two minutes we've got, our hearts go to him. Our worship goes up to him. Frequently sharing connection with him throughout the day. I believe that God wants a response from us. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, please. Um, and initially, I'd just like those of you who have an instrument. So, Phil, if you can lead this bit, but Annette, you can feel free to play as well. So, I'd just like some music to start with. And then, Rachel, no, no, you can come up, Rachel, because Rachel knows that um, when I bring it to the end, we're going to sing together, Lord, I give you my heart as our, our collective response to it. But I just want some music at the moment, please, to give us a chance to respond to what the Spirit is saying, because he will have been speaking to each one of us if we have ears to hear. So why don't you stand, if you will, and close your eyes. My first question is, will you respond to him, to his call to come away with him? Whether it's a new journey or whether you're sensing he's calling you to set aside more time for him or whether he's saying, go deeper, do some different things, come deeper with me, search out, long for that most intimate of kisses in that secret place. If that's what you feel the Spirit's been saying to you this morning, why don't you just respond in your heart to him now and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I will come away with you. Yes, Jesus, I will seek after your heart and I will open up my heart deeper still to you. I will allow you into the deep parts of my heart and I want to know your heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Will you abide in him? Maybe he's been speaking to you this morning about that, about letting him work in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. That comes from that place of abiding, of laying your life down every day and saying, here am I, I've come to do your will, even as Jesus said that to his father, so we can say it to Jesus. That place of abiding, drawing from the vine, knowing that we can do nothing apart from him. If that's what he's challenging you on this morning, then why don't you tell him, yes, Jesus, I want to abide in you moment by moment, every moment of my day. I want to abide in you and for you to abide in me so that I know your heart, so that we're connected, so that all I do is for your glory. And then maybe that's been the challenge that God is challenging you that all you do is for his glory. All you do is for his glory. All you do is for his glory. He's raising that consciousness of his presence and his his heart with you for that moment by moment, whether you're looking after the kids, doing your job, 
shopping, time, anything, that there's no distinction, but all is for his glory. 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 Just tell him, yes, God, that's my heart, that all is for your glory. All I do is for your glory. I'm not looking out for my own will. I'm not looking for my own agenda, but all I'm doing is for your glory. As I prepared this word, I also felt I had a word for the youth, but there aren't actually many of them in the room today. <laughs> but if you're between 11 and 19, I believe God wants to speak to you. So I have to trust that I give it to the few that are here. And maybe if you're a parent or you know others of others that are part of our body that aren't here today, you could pray with them or pray for them and seek God about this. I felt like if you're in that age bracket, God wants to say to you, now is the time. Now is the time. Don't put it off. Don't say you'll do it later. Don't say you'll do it when you're older. Don't say you'll do it when you understand all this stuff a bit better. See, God is longing to share his heart with you and for you to share his heart with him. He'll take you as you are. He'll accept what you can give and what you can bring. But he wants to share life with you. You see, you guys face challenges that I didn't when I was growing up. Yeah, there were challenges in our generation, but they're not the same as today. And if you've decided that you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, then you're going to need this close-knit connection if you're going to stand. And it won't be you that has to stand. He'll do it in you if you have that connection with him. He'll enable you to have the strength to stand. He'll enable you to have the wisdom, to know what is the wisdom of the world and isn't right and what is the wisdom of God that is the truth. He'll enable you to discern between truth and deceit. He'll enable you to discern between good and between evil and to make right decisions in your life that will set the course of your life going forward. You might not know anything much about me, but I can let you know that I chose to follow Jesus when I was about 12 or 13 and I would say that in my teenage years, I set my course to spend time with Jesus that, that kept me from falling, kept me from the things that Satan would seek to trip us up with. And there are many things that your generation faces. And if you want to be kept from tripping up, then now is the time for you to develop that connection with Jesus. He'll help you, but you choose to make that first step. So if you're in the room or if you hear this later, then why don't you just open up your hands in front of him and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I love you and I choose to serve you. And I set my heart on forming that relationship, that connection with you so that you enable me to stand and I bring you glory in my life from this day forth. Amen. And church, we need to be praying for these youngsters, lifting them up before God. So let's, for us, that's our response to them. We pray for you. We pray for you that the Spirit of God would help you to connect with Jesus and enable you to stand strong. Amen. So as we finish, we're just going to sing, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Every moment I'm awake, 
have your way in me.